the demand for me is just skyrocketing. It's it's really unbelievable. Um, in 2016, we produced uh, 330 million tons of meat. And by 2050, it's estimated that we're going to produce 600 million uh, tons of meat. So there's a really, really big need to try to find a way to produce meat without antibiotics. Because if we had that much antibiotics in our system, it could really lead to like a huge uh, world epidemic. Hi there, veggie mates. You just heard from Perendi Birdie. She is this week's special guest. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is the Veg Talk Podcast, a show dedicated to interviewing the most fantastic minds, inspiring leaders, and sharing powerful stories from individuals who are leading the vegan and plant-based movement from around the globe. So last week, I called upon you guys for some help in the ratings and review department, and you certainly delivered. We received a five-star review in Australia from Walter. He said, so good. This podcast is a true life changer. Thank you. So shout out to Walter for the feedback. There's been another five-star review from Vegan Break in the USA. They said, love this show. Even as a long-time vegan, I get lots of nuggets of wisdom from this show. Rock on. Thank you. We're approaching 50 reviews in America. That is pretty awesome. It was also super cool to see a five-star review come in from Poland this week. Lashy Lou said, it's the first podcast I've ever listened to, and now I can't wait to hear the next episode. Thank you for creating such an amazing thing. So thank you to all the listeners who have been so kind to take the time to help us out. It's amazing to see feedback coming in from around the world and puts a massive smile on Anna and my face. If you'd like to leave a review and rating, it's super easy. Just head to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed an episode. There's also an option to write a review. So if you'd like to leave a short sentence describing your experience of the show, that would be much appreciated. So let's now shift our attention to this week's conversation with Perendi Birdie. So Perendi is currently working at Mission Barns in Berkeley, California, and previously worked with Just, who you may know already from their mung bean egg product, Just Egg. Today we are talking about cellular agriculture, a field that is moving fast and one that is truly fascinating. In short, companies in this line of work are growing meat, real meat, outside of an animal's body. Sounds crazy, right? Well, it may be different to what we're used to, but if these products can hit the market at an affordable price, the planet is set to benefit in a number of ways. We're talking huge environmental upside, billions of animals' lives saved from torture and premature death, and believe it or not, there are some health benefits. Just today, for those of you listening in the future, it's the 29th of August 2019, as I speak into this microphone, five of the USA's leaders in cellular ag have teamed up to form the Alliance for Meat, Poultry and Seafood Innovation. This is certainly a huge step in the right direction and shows the mutual interest these companies share in successfully getting their products to market. I hope you enjoy this sneak peek into the future of our food system. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please message me. See you all at the end to wrap things up. We are here today with Perendi Verdi. She is a cell and molecular biologist. She's worked recently at the company Just, which you might have heard of. They were previously Hampton Creek and now at Mission Barnes uh, here in Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. yeah, really cool. Cool companies. They're kind of like 
you know, at the forefront of all of this new tech. So I'm really excited to get into it. And thanks for the time and and welcoming us into your home today. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. So let's, let's rewind it a little bit because you've, you've been treading quite a new path in terms of, you know, it's a, it's a new field, Mm -hmm. but um, you are a young woman in the field. And, you know, from what we heard from you before, that's, not really the norm. Mm-hmm. Most of these people have been in, in the field for quite a while and it's a new, interesting way to work so that that's how they find themselves getting into it. Where did you begin? When did you first go, okay, you know, this is a real possible career path for me and, and what sparked the interest? Yeah, well, um, so I can kind of give a little bit about my um, more technical background and then explain kind of more what you're getting at, like the the reason why I'm really passionate and excited about uh, jumping into this field. So um, I have a degree in biochemistry from the Department of uh, Molecular Biosciences at the University of Kansas. I've been working uh, in this industry or related industries to gain the skills uh, to advance this industry for the past about five years. Um, So to give you an idea, I was at Baylor College of Medicine before researching how various uh, gene expression profiles affect uh, hematopoietic stem cells in patients with sickle cell disease. Again, the idea there was I intentionally took on that project uh, to gain the skills that would be needed uh, to advance this work. Um, I also uh, was at Clara Foods, a biotechnology company focused on creating uh, real egg white proteins without hens. I worked on their strain engineering team as a molecular biologist designing uh, DNA constructs and generating uh, microbe strains with really high protein yields. Um, And as you mentioned, I was at Just uh, for about a year and a half working on the cellular agriculture team um, and have been at Mission Barnes uh, for the past uh, four months working as the scientific uh, project manager. So to step back, um, like how I even found my way to cell ag, um, so ever since I was young, like probably five years old uh, whenever I was asked what I wanted what I wanted to do when I grow up I would always kind of give the, like cheesy answer of make the world a better place like I knew I wanted to do something um, really really positive positive. and so when I took a, a deep and honest look at the intersectionality of a lot of the world's um, largest problems so like um, world hunger climate change disease animal welfare I realized that uh, industrial meat production is really at the epicenter of all of that. And so once I realized that, it became um, really clear that the most effective way to bring about the most positive change would be to, cre- be, uh, would be to create meat uh, without the animal. But it took me a while to, to get to that point. So um, as I said, I, I knew I wanted to do something positive for the world. Um, I explored everything from veterinary school uh, to law school, um, psychology. I did some work on the organs on chips field to, uh, to find, find, try to find alternatives for animal testing. Um, and I just kept hitting my head up against the wall because I didn't feel like it was like big enough. Like it had that like epic, holy shit factor, uh, that like really speaks to me and like what I want my, my legacy to be. Um, and then as I mentioned, I found that our food system is just so broken. And as I mentioned, it's really at the heart of all of these problems that I want to fix. Um, and then when I dug deeper, I found that it's really industrialized animal agriculture that's uh, driving all of those problems when you look at the food system as a whole. Um, So yeah, once I realized that, I uh, looked at all the options. So I uh, tried things like, or I guess I should say, explored things like uh, working at um, 
the companies kind of that are making alternatives. So like you might have heard of Beyond uh, Meats, Impossible Foods, companies like that. Um, but I felt like it would be, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe increasingly I feel like I'm wrong about this, but my idea was that it would be really hard to try to convince people to uh, eat vegetarian or vegan, to eat plant-based burgers, because meat is just such an integral part of our identity as humans. It's something people have been eating for millennia. It's just, it's it's so essential to a lot of cultures and a lot of people. Um, and so I felt like that would be a, a, a more challenging path. Um, I also... Um, explore doing some kind of like advocacy work like to help animals and to encourage people to eat vegetarian and vegan um, but just saw like that there were a lot of uh, it, it didn't feel like it was as effective as I wanted it to be and so I was uh, trying to find something that would be kind of really easy for people to adopt um, and then I found cellular agriculture and it seemed like this like perfect answer to all of these problems because we're uh, through this technology, we're making uh, real animal meat, meat uh, that is like, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, molecularly indistinguishable. It's real animal meat, but it doesn't um, come with all these negative side effects that we have with industrialized animal farming. Um, it doesn't have, uh, induce any kind of animal suffering, have a lot of these big environmental um, negatives. We can talk more about the reasons behind it, but that's what really um, excited me about this technology and helped me see the, the potential. Very cool. Yeah, no, it's it's just thinking back to like, you know, my path mm -hmm. through uh, college and whatnot. I, I would have never thought of cellular agriculture, <laughs> growing, you know, meat outside of an animal. Yeah. I think explaining it to people, they're like, <laughs> oh, really? Like that's happening right now? Yeah. That's, that's quite... Um, it's quite interesting, mm -hmm. you know. I, I didn't know that was happening. So, cool kind of path to, to finding your way there. I think it's definitely got the holy shit factor that you were yeah you were talking about, uh, without a doubt. It sounds like, you know, the the connection between industrial agriculture, um, animal welfare, the environment was at the forefront of your mind mm -hmm. uh, at a young age. Mm -hmm. So were you like vegetarian, eating vegan uh, at a young age? What's like kind of that background in terms of your own food consumption? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely grew up in a household that was like very mindful. Uh, my family um, is very compassionate and like brought us up with those values. Um, I was been, I've been vegan um, for about 12 years. So that's been something that's like been very important to me and helped me kind of make the connection between all of these issues that we need to address yeah that's cool yeah. so now that you're in the field and you know you're really putting your stamp on on trying to change the world that's what yeah. these companies all have in common yeah uh, they really see this as uh, the way forward where people are able to uh, adopt something that's going to be beneficial for animals the environment mm -hmm. um, you know world hunger you mentioned yeah. all of these things uh, that is their common, uh, you know, their their common goal. Now that you're in it, I suppose, are you able to explain a little bit about what it is <laughs> and, yeah. you know, how it works? Because it is truly fascinating and has, you know, potential to be incredibly beneficial mm -hmm. to the world. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, 
So to explain cellular agriculture, uh, clean meat, cultured meat, craft meat, I'm sure you've heard uh, there's many names. We're trying to kind of find our identity right now. Um, to explain this, I think it's important to understand uh, what, can, I guess I'll say conventional meat uh, really is. So um, all meat starts with cells. So often a combination of muscle cells, fat cells, blood cells. Um, and these cells are uh, typically grown in an animal's body. In my body and your body and our cats and dogs' bodies and cows, chickens, and pigs. Well, we are, we are all made up of uh, multiple cell types. Um, and so what happens in a, a cow, for example, they eat grass and the nutrients from the grass allow the cells inside their bodies uh, to grow and multiply. And once the cow and its cells grow enough, then we uh, slaughter the cow, harvest the meat, and cook it up. Um, but that's not the only environment where cells can grow. So for cells to grow, they require a few things. They require nutrients, and they require an, an environment to grow. Um, so these nutrients... Um, these nutrients are the same nutrients that, that you and I eat, the same nutrients, um, like I'm saying, that cows, chickens, and pigs all eat. We all eat um, salts, we all eat sugars, vitamins, uh, fats. Um, we eat these same kind of basic nutrients. And so if we feed muscle cells, fat cells, blood cells, these nutrients in a uh, farming cultivator that mimics the physiological conditions of the body, the cells will just naturally grow and divide as they would in a, in a cow, chicken, or a pig. Um, and I know this might sound kind of far-fetched, <laughs> this idea of growing animal cells outside of an animal's body, what we call cell culture. But it's actually a, a very normal process. It's been happening um, in nearly every country around the world for about, about 100 years, this idea of growing animal cells outside of an animal's body, not, not clean meat, but that technology. Um, so we're not really in the labs trying to figure out how to grow muscle cells or how to grow fat cells or how to grow blood cells. We're even working out how to grow tissues where you can luckily uh, lean on a lot of this existing technology. So you might have heard of people growing like artificial hearts or lungs or skin for burn victims. Um, we're, we're using a very similar technology. But our R&D challenges, uh, we have a few, but I'll say one of the biggest ones is focusing on how to really scale down the cost of this technology. Um, so that's kind of what we're, we're tackling in the lab. So to start uh, making clean meat, what we do is we uh, isolate cells from healthy farm animals. Um, so you can imagine going to a farm, to a sanctuary, um, anywhere where you have uh, cows, chickens, pigs, and you can take uh, a very small biopsy. You can imagine taking a biopsy uh, the size of a, a grain of rice, and that biopsy will contain millions and millions of cells. And so what we do is we isolate the cells that we're interested in, and we put the cells um, in, in tissue culture plates. You can imagine um, little plates that have wells that are about uh, like half an inch by half an inch, really small, something that would kind of uh, fit in for that grain of rice, the amount of cells that are in that grain of rice. And we feed uh, those cells nutrients. So we feed them as I mentioned, the same nutrients that they would have on the farm. We feed them um, salts, vitamins, sugars, uh, lipids. It's not like these, you know, crazy chemicals or anything like that that people might be imagining. We feed them exactly what they would have um, on a farm because that's um, what, what they need to grow. And so... Um, we feed, this, we feed the cells and we screen through them. We, we look for our, our top candidates. Um, so we look for cells that um, have 
have uh, the best qualities to become a uh, clean meat cell line. So that's for us cells that um, proliferate very quickly, um, that are like really hardy, uh, healthy cells that grow to um, high densities, um, cells that uh, are tasty, all these kind of things that would be required for a food product, but also um, be required for a food product where you're really trying to bring down the cost. So I mentioned grow really quickly and grow to high densities. Uh, those qualities are important because that's um, going to help you get to uh, lower costs. So imagine if you're growing these cells um, in a um, in a, a cultivator. Um, imagine like. Um, or just imagine a cow, for example. If you have more cells growing more quickly uh, in higher densities inside of a cow, your end beef product will be cheaper. And that's something that um, current animal agriculture has figured out. Uh, to give you an, an example, chickens about 60 years ago uh, were four times smaller than they are today. So they've animal agriculture has figured out how to make the cells grow quicker and grow to higher densities um, and made figured out how to make the whole chickens grow bigger. So at our uh, scale, we're also trying to figure out how to get our cells to grow quicker to higher densities, the same kind of things that um, current animal agriculture is doing ultimately uh, to, to bring the cost down. Got it. So with, with current agriculture, right, they've figured it out. <laughs> However, it comes at a detriment to... The environment, yeah. the animal, and all that kind of um, all that kind of business. So, you know, we know that they now use things like uh, antibiotics. They use mm-hmm. uh, added hormones. Mm-hmm. They really fine tune the environment of which these animals yeah. live in to do such a thing. Uh, without the animal, you obviously take out mm-hmm. the ethical side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that all that happens is the biopsy at the beginning, mm-hmm. so that animal continues to to live its life. Yeah, and to give you an idea, um, these cells uh, have the potential to grow indefinitely. So you can um, take a biopsy, let's say once, and then not need to take another biopsy um, theoretically ever again. Or you can imagine like every ten years, twenty years, something like that. So just to give people an idea, it's not like uh, you know every day billions of animals are getting a biopsy, anything like that. We were thinking about that on the way here. We were like, oh, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if you can have like this mother kind of like a kombucha yeah. <laughs> where, where you grow, you know, this, this uh, what's it called? A scoby or a mother. Yeah. Uh, and you technically don't need to go through that process again. You can keep yep. using it. You can cut it in half. Mm-hmm. You can give it to your friend and they can start yeah. their own kombucha brewery. <laughs> so Yeah, so we, we select for the cells that have that potential. So there's certain types of cells in our body, our stem cells, um, that are designed to uh, proliferate uh, indefinitely, we can say. Um, so if you have an injury or something like that, if you burn your skin, let's say, uh, your, your stem cells uh, can regenerate and... Uh, heal that part of your body um so those are the cells that we go after and one of course one of the reasons is so we don't have to keep going back um, to animals cool cool that's good to know it, so would it it's it's hard to understand whether it's like technically a <laughs> vegan product or or not as well because it is you know it's meat at the end of the day but yeah um we're not harming animals i suppose we can get into that later back on to the side of feeding the cells right yeah, so yeah, can... you you take the the current way of doing things and then the way that you guys would like to do Mm -hmm. things in order to get that scalability and growth i'm assuming that the clean meat industry they don't want to incorporate the antibiotics and the added hormones Mm -hmm. 
they're trying to create a product that is literally cleaner than the one we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously also yeah, ethical and yeah. better for the environment. So how do what are the sources of food for mm-hmm. the cells? Yeah, so um, it's pretty simple. We feed the cells uh, the same food that the animals would have um, on a farm. So we feed them um, plants, essentially, uh, or the key uh, components that would be inside of a plant, but in a more simplified form. Um, it, one way to think of why it's more efficient is kind of a simple way to think of it, but I think it really um, kind of helps paint the picture. Uh, we're not, it, it, I guess I can say it's more uh efficient and that we're not growing an entire animal so imagine it we're not growing um, teeth and eyes and fur and hooves and lungs and a digestive system which all require a lot of resources which require a lot of food and results in a lot of waste instead what we're doing is we're just growing the meat we eat we're just growing muscle tissue fat tissue blood cells Um, so in that way it's just dramatically more efficient so it's not like we're using this like alien food that doesn't have a carbon footprint and it's like really 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 efficient we're feeding them natural food but it's just inherently more efficient because we're not growing entire animals that have to live for years and years and breathe and you know have all of these issues yeah you bring up that's an amazing point (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah. i can't imagine the the extra energy involved in actually growing you know, mm-hmm. not only the rest of the body parts, but also a moving animal. Yeah. You know, that needs to see and think. Exactly, and, exactly. Yeah. No, it's kind of, it's cool to think about and dig a little deeper. Uh, with with that said, you know, not growing mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, let's say the intestines, the GI tract of an animal. Mm-hmm. So when we get to slaughter, yeah, that's where the cam- contamination usually happens. Yeah. And it, for most people, uh, for people that don't know, would you like to let them know about uh, the study that was done in terms of, you know, the the fecal matter found in in meat, because mm-hmm, yeah. it's something that I would think that most people are not aware of. Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't until um, I got more involved in this field. Um, so uh, pathogens are the most uh, pathogens in meat, I should say, are the most common cause of uh, fatal foodborne illnesses, and that's according to the uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, so they uh, released a study a few years back, uh, citing that 92% of uh, conventionally produced poultry is contaminated with fecal matter. Um, so it's it's a really big problem, and the reason why it's such a big problem is because when these animals um, are slaughtered first of all they're slaughtered in these like very kind of uh tight confined areas because the industry is trying to be as efficient as possible and so because of that um, there's accidents that can happen and ultimately uh when they're slaughtering the animals they have to be very very fast uh so they're not you know going one by one spending 10 minutes per animal anything like that so there's a lot of kind of bleed over between the um I guess I'll say like pathogens in the intestines and then the meat that we eat. Um, So oftentimes, if you imagine you're cutting a chicken in half, something like that, um, there's going to be some some kind of bleed over between the intestines and the uh, uh, chicken breast, something like that. Um, Our process, luckily, is a a sterile process and doesn't require... um, any of these um, like hormones and antibiotics that you're mentioning, but also we're completely uh, decoupling meat from slaughter. So because we're decoupling meat from slaughter, we don't have to worry about all of those um, bacteria that are growing in our system because our system is um, actually totally 
totally free of bacteria. Yeah, it's it's really again really interesting that um, you know the the new pros the new process of, of clean meat yeah. would would eliminate that. Mm-hmm. And we see it all the time, like recalls mm-hmm. in all America. The time. Yeah, you know, like oh, the recall of you know this this lot of beef burger that mm-hmm. came through. Yeah, and the company can't, you know, they can't go. Okay, it was this animal mm-hmm. because, you know, ground beef in this country now is made up of all these different animals. So what they yeah. do, they have to recall the whole delivery or the whole, yeah. you know, um, the whole lot that that went out into the public between a certain date. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's really, really inefficient. Yeah, it hits on all the issues like sustainability, the environment, public health, animal welfare. It's a perfect example of why the system is is broken. Yeah, no, it's yeah, certainly, it's a hundred percent broken. Um, and now, so, can I say one more yeah. thing? Something that I think is, uh, I guess, to maybe to me even more exciting and promising is. Um, because our process is sterile, we grow this meat in uh, what, we, what I call cultivators. And I can just quickly elaborate on that because I've used that term a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you can imagine like a big, uh, clean, um, like if you go to a beer brewery and you, or, and you see those big stainless steel vats that are uh, growing the cells uh, that are ultimately going to make our beer, it, it kind of looks similar to that. And uh, that machine is really mimicking um, the animal's body. So like in our example for um, a cow, we would have it at uh, 90 degrees, the right percent humidity, the right percent oxygen, the right percent CO2. So an animal's, uh, so for the cells, they kind of think that they're inside of an animal's body um, because if they weren't in that environment that's so similar to an animal's body, uh, they wouldn't be able to grow. So like imagine if we went um, to, um, you know, another planet or somewhere very, very cold that was like negative, negative whatever, 500 degrees, something like that, uh, our cells, we would die because our cells wouldn't be able to handle that different environment. And so what we're really trying to do is create this environment that's um, so, so similar to uh, an animal's body. Um, but anyway, back to what I was saying about uh, another another health benefit that I think is um, really important. So I, uh, we've mentioned a few times that we don't use antibiotics and um, we've kind of, I think maybe like casually mentioned that because it's... Uh, it's, it's kind of one of the talking points of the field. But I think it's really important to understand, like, the gravity of what that really means. Um, and I'll just, like, quickly share a story that I think kind of highlights it. So I used to work at the Texas uh, Medical Center. It's the largest medical center in the entire world. Uh, it's a 50 million square foot campus in the middle of Houston. And I was surrounded with over 100,000 scientists and uh, just hundreds of millions of dollars that were being poured in uh, to fighting cancer. And uh, it makes sense because about 8.2 million people uh, die from cancer every year. Um, I'm sure we all know somebody who's been um, affected by cancer. It's a really um, powerful disease that, that causes a lot of suffering in this world. Um, but then I learned that by 2050, it's estimated that uh, about 10 million people each year will die from these uh, antibiotic-resistant uh, superbugs. And it's not something that we uh, hear about as much as cancer. 
So I tried to really wrap my head around that and um, how it is that we can, I could have, I was surrounded by so many resources uh, fighting cancer and we hear of like uh, football players wearing pink, uh, Livestrong bracelets, celebrity golf tournaments, all of these resources, uh, while there's this like potential killer out there that is more, you know, dangerous uh, than cancer. Uh, so I dug deeper and found scientific uh, experts were linking uh, the rise of these superbugs to uh, current livestock production on factory farms. And uh, they were saying that the reason why is because uh, factory farms, uh, or the animals, I should say, on factory farms, consume about 70% uh, of all of the antibiotics that are, that are produced in the United States. And so these uh, really, really potent, strong antibiotics are, are seeped into our meat, but not only our meat, our, our soil and our crops um, and our bodies and just our, our environment. And so I don't think it's because um, these like big corporate fat cats, uh, you know, don't care about our health or the environment or anything like that. I think it's like the demand for meat is just skyrocketing. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, in 2016, we produced uh, 330 million tons of meat. And by 2050, it's estimated that we're going to produce 600 million uh, tons of meat. So there's a really, really big need to try to find a way to produce meat without antibiotics. Because if we had that much antibiotics in our system, it could really lead to like a huge uh, world epidemic. Um, so I just think it's important to mention. Totally, totally. So what we're seeing is that more and more antibiotics are getting pumped into an animal. Mm -hmm. In turn, we're consuming the animal. Mm -hmm. We're consuming the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. We then, because we're consuming like antibiotics quite regularly through our food system, mm -hmm. our body becomes less and less likely to fight Exactly. These bugs. Yeah. So we become we, resistant. We become to, resistant. Yeah, to the antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. And what you're talking about in terms of the meat consumption doubling mm -hmm. uh, in the next, you know, in the next couple of decades, yeah. the next few decades, that comes down, or does that come down to, you know, countries like India uh, yeah. and China kind of changing their way of living? There, I suppose their lower to middle class is now becoming. Uh, wealthier mm -hmm. and often the first thing we see is you know more more animal products being consumed which is sad but a, a truth and i suppose with india it's a bit more of a, a cultural shift yeah because they're typically typically seen as a, a more vegetarian mm -hmm. uh, kind of country so it must be quite a, a large cultural shift there i mean yeah. i've seen you know, I've seen some some segments on like the younger generation being more inclined to go and try McDonald's or Pizza mm -hmm. Hut or KFC, and it is being infiltrated into their country. Yeah. So is that kind of the reason we're seeing such large growth? Yeah. It, yeah? Exactly. Yeah, and people are uh, cities are uh, countries. I guess I can say are becoming more industrialized. That's a big part of it um, too. It's a the Bennett's law. I think is what you were referring to as. P cities, I guess I can say, are becoming more industrialized and people are becoming more wealthier. The meat consumption just naturally rises uh, pretty dramatically. Okay. Yeah, I think we've encapsulated the the, the serious need yeah. uh, for change, uh, whether it's, you know, plant-based meat, clean meat, combination of both. Yeah. Uh, the, the system is broken and we really need to, to move towards it. So for that to happen, I suppose we need adoption. 
So let's fast forward into the future. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that clean meat is, it's scalable. It's affordable. It's not just a luxury item mm -hmm. and um, we're, we're able to buy it. You know, something like, something like the Impossible Burger in a restaurant or Beyond Meat yeah. in Whole Foods. Now, the adoption. So it's something that is also often spoken about in this industry. Mm-hmm does it freak people out <laughs> what name do we call it yeah you know it's gone through these kind of cycles of yeah. like in vitro cultured <laughs> craft me yeah and then yeah. kind of landed on clean at the at the moment as the um, you know i think bruce friedrich said something about like putting out a bunch of um surveys mm -hmm. and it came back that clean meat was the most positively recepted mm -hmm. um term so in terms of adoption, uh, what are our, I suppose, what are our obstacles mm -hmm. there uh, of getting people on board? Mm -hmm. How can we get people on board, uh, you know, this yeah. movement? Yeah, so um, speaking of Bruce uh, and GFI, I really respect a lot of the work that they've done. Um, they've um, written a few pieces that have really convinced me that people buy food based on three things. So it's price, uh, taste, and convenience. Um, and we really see that with uh, the Beyond Burger and the Apostle Burger. They really hit those three points, and um, they've just rocked it. I mean, their, their sales have just skyrocketed. They've done so, so, so well. Um, so that, that gives me a lot of hope. I feel like if we can meet price, taste, and convenience, um, maybe it's not this huge, big, scary obstacle that maybe the people in our little bubble uh, want to think, or not want to, but are like naturally kind of uh, worried about. Um, you know, we'll see. There have been a lot of preliminary studies that have been done. Of course, they've been really, really small scale with, you know, smaller budgets and things like that. But people have, um, in those surveys, shown that they would uh, definitely be open to trying it. And if it kind of met those criteria, that they would be open to um, adopting it. I also think that uh, when this really does take off, uh, it's also probably going to be at a time, uh, a point in time where uh, people... Uh, are realizing in a much more real way how severe uh, climate change is and a lot of these other issues that we've been talking about. So I think that it's going to be um, kind of easier for people to adopt it, uh, having that in mind. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a sad kind of truth to think that we have to wait until this like <laughs> crucial point in time yeah. for adoption to skyrocket. But it's probably, um, it's probably, yeah, going to go through like this, <laughs> phase of like slowly increasing yeah. to, to people becoming more aware of the link, the connection between yeah. environments and our food consumption. And I think like the biggest thing that's going to help is that um, a lot of the really big meat companies um, have in some way kind of endorsed this or signed on to it or shown that they think that there's potential there at least. Um, so we've seen big investments from um, Tyson, some of the big meat companies, uh, maybe we don't know them by name, but they're the, some of the biggest ones in the world. Um, of course, we all know Tyson. Um, and they've um, come to conferences or invested in this space. And I think that if they, you know, really co-sign this product, if they put their name on it and sell it through their uh, ch channels, that's going to be the kind of thing that um, is a game changer. And uh, luckily, when I was at Just, I had the opportunity to meet with a lot of these uh, big meat companies. And... Um, when we had in-depth conversations, what I heard over and over and over again from probably uh, 10 or 20 uh, big meat companies, what they always told me was, 
we're excited about this technology. It really de-risks our process. They don't want to deal with like the recalls that you were mentioning, um, the sustainability issues. It's just like they have a huge manure problem that they always talk about. Um, it's just, it's a very hard industry. Like the employees usually aren't very happy. Um, it's, it's dirty. There's like a lot of regulation issues. Um, there's like kind of a PR nightmare that is happening uh, with some of the companies and they want to get totally away from that and de-risk their process. They want to produce healthy, uh, sustainable protein to the world. And if we can give them that opportunity, they're so excited to jump on. Um, the reason why we don't see, I think, like full adoption right now is just because the technology is very new. But I think that once, um, you know, the few leaders in the field really show that this is something that um, is as scalable um, and has real potential to, um, you know, replace the kind of meat that we eat today, I think that we'll see a big shift from the big meat companies and that will um, help other people feel uh, more comfortable. Yeah, totally. It's, it's an interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting kind of conversation there when we're talking about the, the large meat companies that we look at now yeah. as like, you know, exactly what you were saying, kind of environmentally destructive <laughs> yeah. in, inherently cruel all those types of things and their workers often do go through a really tough time because it's probably the hardest industry on the human yeah. um, psyche to work in yeah so despite all this it's super important that we we make good partnerships with with these guys mm-hmm. they have i suppose the name the capital the capital the um distribution distribution yeah exactly and i suppose they have the trust mm-hmm. somewhat of their consumers despite More what we spoke we about yeah exactly exactly if it's coming from uh, a tech company yeah. in san fran it's like <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the tech company in san fran now produced my meat yeah <laughs> it might not ring so well with with the consumer but yeah. if oh, it's coming from the same people. They're just kind of changing the way they mm-hmm. do it. I definitely see that mm-hmm. as a, a positive for the greater good and the and the movement and the change Absolutely. in our food system. Yeah. We're kind of seeing it now with with the plant-based meats. I was just thinking that. And the, and the fast food companies. Yeah. If you just thought about, uh, tried to explain the Impossible Burger, the technology behind it to someone um, in Kansas or Texas, where I grew up in Kansas and Texas, uh, and I did actually like the, for the past few years try to explain the technology and how it's so cool and they use this heme, they're using this technology and it tastes so good, all of this. And I was like laughed at, totally written off, all of that. Um, but now they can go to uh, Burger King and get an Impossible Whopper and it just changes everything. They're open to it. They like, there's trust in it. People around the world are eating it. Like people um, in their, their region are eating it. It's, uh, it just normalizes it and that's really powerful. Yes, and it, it brings the people that do eat more of a an animal-based diet mm-hmm. or the flexitarians or the, I don't know. I don't know how many names we have for them. They're <laughs> like climate carnivores, I yeah. think I heard the other day. I haven't heard that one. Um, where <laughs> they, you know, they don't eat red meat or, or pork. Okay. I, I, I don't know. There, <laughs> there's a lot of terms out there, but it brings yeah. those guys more across to the plant-based side Mm -hmm. and are they the keys are they the keys in in really moving the needle yeah so to me like what i want to see is um 
kind of at a high level, I guess, uh, a reduction in these like negatives that we see with current animal agriculture. And to, the way to do that is to um, hit the people that are consuming the most. So I imagine it's like these new economies that we just talked about um, in East Asia, India, places like that. Um, so those are the places where I really want this technology to take off. Because one, if a lot of these people haven't eaten meat before, it's not uh, as hard to convince them to eat our meat as opposed to like first eating conventional meat and then eating our meat so that seems like kind of a maybe like more low-hanging fruit easier market to get into it's also going to be like a huge huge place where there's a lot of these um kind of negatives that we've talked about um but yeah i mean the more people people who eat the most amount of meat i guess i'll say is our, our key targets of people in kansas uh, and texas as i was mentioning um definitely not vegans and vegetarians um i've talked to a lot of vegans who are kind of open to it uh, if they're in it from the animal welfare side and people who are in it from the health side of course like are not interested because it's uh, just as unhealthy um, as current meat yeah definitely it's not like we're producing you know muscle tissue without cholesterol or without yeah. the saturated fat and for we it could to be- do that eventually yeah. uh, we definitely could but that's not the goal right now for a lot of companies no i think the saturated fat component of meat is one of those things that makes it so, mm-hmm. I suppose, delicious, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, to consumers of of those products. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's also fascinating that you've got more control mm-hmm. around the makeup mm-hmm. Absolutely. Of, of the meat, being able to, you know, lower cholesterol or, or higher it or saturated fat. Yeah. Uh, those components can be, can can be controlled fine-tuned yeah yeah which is it does it, it yeah it's super <laughs> sci-fi to me like <laughs> but it's 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 totally uh, yeah totally exciting and, yeah. and, and necessary mm-hmm. uh, for where we're at right now so yeah having said all of that like who is the uh, i suppose the main target and everything um what what types of meat are currently being looked at for for scalability mm-hmm. and production yeah so um there's about 30 players uh in the industry and um i think this is a great thing there's uh, a really diverse profile of um, products that are being um focused on so uh at mission barns we're focused more on the fat component um, there's other companies that are focused more um, on seafood some that are focused more on beef some that are focused more um, on chickens and they're focused more on the uh, feedstock the food that we feed the cells Um, so it's really diverse which I think is really nice Um, so I don't I would say I think maybe publicly people talk about um, beef the most because I think of the uh, sustainability um, kind of angle but I I would say that the field is really attacking the issue from uh, many different angles cool cool so it's yeah, I heard. I think I heard foie gras as well. Yeah. is is something that um, companies are looking at, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really good. Um, I think strategic first product um, because the the first products are going to be uh, more simple. So you're not going to see something like a complex um, chicken breast or steak or anything like that because. Um, as I mentioned, we just start by isolating the cells. We feed the cells. We put those cells into um, a cultivator where we feed them. And then ultimately the product that you get out of that and kind of the the V1 of uh, the, the technology, I guess I can say, uh, is, is very simple. So it won't have like as much um, 
texture or um, kind of that that um, the like com- vasculature, the complexity like a steak would have. And um, that's that's definitely new R&D that would need to be developed to go into that. There's some companies focused on that now, but I would say a majority of them are focused on more simple products. And, and foie gras is a great example of that because it's almost like a kind of a paste um, product. So I think that that's, that's really smart for those companies. Definitely. So when you talk about vasculature, mm-hmm. we're talking about the veins. Yeah, exactly. So like uh, the nutrients need to be able to go in and penetrate like the middle of a piece of uh, a thick piece of tissue. And so you have to design um, some system that would be able to carry those nutrients into the middle of that tissue. That's what our, our veins and arteries do right now. Um, and, and people have figured out how to do that. Like I was mentioning, uh, people have made artificial hearts, lungs, all of that. Um, they, they have that technology, but figuring out how to scale that down at the same time as trying to figure out how to scale down the cost of uh, everything else we're trying to do. I think a lot of companies feel like that's uh, maybe too much to, to kind of chew off right now. Um, but that's something that ultimately we'll definitely incorporate into our meat products. Cool. And is there, I know timeline is super hard to, <laughs> yeah. to tackle. Like when do you think, when, when is a possible um you know a possible timeline we're in 2019 Mm -hmm. now Uh, when could we see the first products hit the market yeah so i think in the next uh, few years we'll see uh products come to market so i think they'll be at small scales kind of be at the luxury scale um you can imagine like a few select restaurants things like that i can see that happening in the next few years um i think it's also very dependent on the amount of capital and resources that we have um, so if we get um, a really big uh, influx of cash from, let's say, like a big meat company, they want to partner with us or um, Tyson builds their own uh, CELAG uh, program and house, something like that, that will really accelerate um, the timelines and it can go to larger scales, uh, maybe even just a few years after those kind of initial launches. Um, and I actually see that being the future. I don't see the field working at kind of a, an, a slower pace for like 20 years. That's just generally not how, you know, new industries start. Um, so, yeah, so I would, I'd say a few years, the first product's kind of at that, that luxury scale. Cool. And then outside of the meat kind of industry, mm-hmm. uh, the clean meat industry, there's also, you referred to egg whites. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other... Uh, you know, other animal products that are being looked at in the same way? Yeah, I think the two big leaders um, are Clara Foods um, and Perfect Day. Um, so Clara Foods, as I mentioned, is making um, egg whites without the hens. Um, Perfect Day is making um, dairy proteins. And they just uh, released their uh, first uh, ice cream, um, real animal ice cream with real animal whey in it. Um, I have some in my freezer. I can let you guys have some after this. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, that's really exciting. Those are the two companies that are leading that. Cool. I did hear about that. I think yeah. Perfect, Day, Perfect Day did like a like a mini kind of marketing kind of push yeah. to, to say like, hey, we've got like the, the first product yeah. sold out pretty quickly. I, from, I think if in, within a few hours. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So I woke up, it was the first thing I did when I went up, woke up is I ordered mine. Cool. So it really <laughs> is, you know, it is happening um, outside of the meat industry as well. And it's, I don't know, it sounds like it's close to... Yeah, those technologies are... Um, I, I don't know if I'll say easier, but they have a, f- I guess they have fewer obstacles to go through. So they're going to, yeah. I think, come to market before our meat products. True. And then extending it further, things like, things that are definitely well within, um, you know, consumption now, uh, like faux leather. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, I don't know what makes up a faux leather, mm-hmm. but is that also possible? Yeah. Like a real leather product exactly, without the animal? Yeah. People have made um, collagen. There's a company um, called um, Gelsen that's focused on collagen. There's a company called uh, named Modern Meadow um, up in New York that's focused on leather. Uh, they also made um, kind of like a steak chip a few years ago. So yeah, the, it's uh, pretty pretty broad. Um, there's a great uh, resource. Um, the website's uh, robertyamen.com. And he kind of has a uh, industry snapshot. So you can see all the companies, uh, links to their websites, kind of their progress. So you can see um, all the companies working in this space, but then also kind of the uh, leather and wool and uh, milk and cheese and all of that good stuff that we were talking about. That's fantastic to yeah. hear. Uh, you know, just from an ethical point of view, amazing. But yeah. the environmental point of view is is also super super important. Now, I suppose the the th- one of the things that really drives the the degradation of the environment is just the scale of how many animals mm-hmm. we have on this planet. So, in the future, what would that look like Mm -hmm. not needing not needing all these animals but we're still producing meat Mm -hmm. do you think we'd have you know one cow for a company or (laughs) would they become pets yeah it's hard for them to become (laughs) wild because i think they've become so reliant on on humans that that's probably not a possibility what could be yeah what could be a possibility for the future of like you know pigs chickens and and cows yeah, it's a it's a fun question. Something that I've um, thought a lot about. I don't I don't necessarily have an answer, but I can kind of share some thoughts. That yeah, I totally. Have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will say that I think that uh, I don't see a future in which this technology replaces a hundred percent of all meat. I think that um, big meat companies, the big ones in the world that are striving to be um, really efficient to provide uh, to provide affordable healthy protein to the world which is where like 99 percent of our meat comes from these big companies i can see them adopting um this technology because as i mentioned it kind of meets a lot of uh, what what they're going for uh, sustainability healthy protein affordable etc but i still uh, definitely think people will be producing meat um at smaller scales and they're backyard and their small communities and their villages um so i don't think i can't i don't think the the cows and chickens and pigs will kind of go extinct uh i can definitely see people having them um as pets maybe like i don't know i there's my neighbors have um, chickens in their backyard where they get eggs i can kind of see those things um still happening but i i, I don't think they'll go extinct or maybe that's hundreds and hundreds of years from now yeah that'd be crazy imagine having like cows roaming in your backyard yeah. as pets <laughs> yeah. yeah in yeah i don't know it's it's totally possible i mean we like those animals when mm-hmm. we get to when we get to hang out with mm-hmm. them if you go to a sanctuary or whatever mm-hmm. they're so friendly mm-hmm. like it's it's cool to be around them yeah um so i don't know i think it's it, yeah it's a, it's a possibility that. yeah also is it just happening in america is this something that is really booming here in the States or have we got other countries also looking at uh, this possibility? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I would say the Bay Area is kind of the hub of it. Uh, Most of the companies are in the Bay Area, but um, definitely all over. So there's companies in Japan, uh, in the UK, um, in in the Netherlands, in Canada. um, so, So all over the world. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. So for someone that is... For someone that's, you know, excited by this conversation, yeah, 
uh, and it's now something that they're seriously thinking about getting into. Mm-hmm. I suppose, how can they find out more, first of all? So if there's any resources out there that can inform them on, mm-hmm. on you know, on the, uh, the industry and, and places that they can go to university courses they can take. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, where can we find you? And if they've got any questions, uh, how can they contact you? Yeah, great questions. Um, so first thing I would do is recommend that people go to the, the Good Food Institute's uh, website. They have a really wonderful website with a lot of resources um, to help kind of go in more in depth into the topics we've discussed. Um, if you're interested in kind of pursuing a career in this field, um, you can definitely reach out uh, to me. I would love to chat with you, kind of see where your skill set lies and how it can help advance this field. If you're um, kind of uh, new to this and wanting to start a college program or anything like that, I'd happy to kind of help structure that with you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Again, my name is Perendi Birdie. Um, maybe we can also leave a link uh, in the podcast so you can find my, my LinkedIn e- info easier. Um, there's another great resource, uh, robertyemen.com. Uh, maybe we can leave that in the, in the little description for the podcast as well he has um, a patent landscape industry landscape um, blogs on all of the different companies just a lot of great um, links in there Um, so yeah I think those would be my three best pieces of advice for now totally I will yeah I'll leave those links in the description of the podcast so yeah if you're listening on uh, I think most likely uh, iTunes or Apple. Okay. Uh, there's definitely a, a brief dis- uh, description of the podcast. Click mm-hmm. on that. Go and find Perendi. Say <laughs> hello. Yes. And if you've got any any questions, definitely definitely reach out. Yeah. Um, I'd love cause that. Because I think it's yeah, it's something that people uh, first are not aware of, then they become really interested yeah. in and and and, and want to learn more. Also, I, I read a book called Clean Meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Paul Shapiro, so it's got also some some interesting stuff in there. Yeah. It's a it's a great read if you want to yeah. uh, get up to speed on uh, on what's going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thanks for the time. Yes, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, thanks for um, for being so open about you know everything that's going on yeah, uh, in the industry, the importance of it all, and uh, what we're really combating with it. You know, it's not just for fun. Yeah, you know, totally. we're not not just getting uh, into labs and. Uh, and and taking on all this effort <laughs> for for fun it mm-hmm. really is um you know helping uh, the climate environment and the animal ethics side of things all in one mm-hmm. so thanks for your work thanks for the time and yeah really looking forward to to getting this one live out to the listeners oh, thank you so much for having me Good cheers Brittany. thank you thanks hey everyone hope you enjoyed today's show i found the topic fascinating and thank Perendi for taking the time to join us. I've seen that this particular topic can be contentious amongst vegans. I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know where you sit on the spectrum of the idea of clean meat and also why. You can reach us on Instagram at VegTalk. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. So personally, I see this as a huge win for animals and the environment. And as you heard, there are health benefits compared to what today's meat offers in terms of antibiotics. I don't see myself being a consumer of these products in the future, but they're much needed as a large percentage of the population will continue to eat meat despite the introduction of many plant-based meat alternatives. You heard Perendi offer us some ice cream in this episode. It was a company called Perfect Day. So it is dairy, made without the animal. 
So I personally find dairy pretty repulsive since I connected all the dots, but I did try it. It tasted how I remember ice cream tasting. And if there are people out there who just won't give up cow's milk ice cream, well, when this hits the market, for real, I'll be recommending this behind the plant-based options 100%. The dairy industry is horrific. It's cruel in every way imaginable. And this solves the ethical dilemma, in my opinion. Whether or not they can produce items like cheese and yogurt remains to be seen, but I have high hopes. Thanks again for tuning in today, guys. I'm truly grateful that you choose to take an hour or so out of your day to listen to these conversations. If you can help out with the review, that'd be the cherry on top. Anna and I are working really hard to continue this show and every bit of help is much needed and appreciated. Next week, we are chatting with another San Franciscan, Brian Choi D. You can check him out on Instagram for some tasty eats at Good Life Cooking. That's without the G. Until then, keep it plant-based. I look forward to catching you all next week.